everyone, welcome today. Hope you're doing really well. Hope you're um, enjoying your time with your family. For those that are back at work, I hope you're loving that. And uh, I've just been thinking this week, I don't know about you, but I've been feeling a little bit guilty. And uh, mainly around how much I've been eating during this period of time. And I had a, actually had a look about what people feel guilty about. I did a bit of a Google search. And what I found was that one of the top things that people feel guilty about, 29% of us feel guilty about what we eat. Which is kind of crazy, really. But we feel guilty about all sorts of different things. Some of us feel guilty as mums. You know, we've got that Pinterest friend who's perfect, you know. They, have, they post all their shots on Instagram. They're the perfect bakers, the per perfect cooks. They have all these great ideas and do these wonderful family things. And when they turn up to somebody's house for dinner, you know, with your friends, they always bring baking or they always bring this. And, and uh, you know, you turn up and you forget the baking and forget to bring something else and forget your kid. And, and you kind of feel guilty that you're not the kind of mum that, that your Pinterest friend is. Or maybe you have spiritual guilt. I don't pray enough. I don't read my Bible enough. I don't serve enough. I'm not giving enough. I'm not doing enough. I'm not a good enough uh, at being a dad and leading our home and being all those sorts of things. And so we have guilt in all different areas of our lives. Some of us, is, we have guilt because we love Jesus and we're following him, but we just don't seem to be able to break some of the some of the addictions that we have. We have guilt about all sorts of things. Spiritual guilt, you know, guilt about because we compare ourselves to others. So what do we do? How do we behave or what do we do when we feel guilty about God? When we feel guilty before God, what, what do we do? I want to share with you a story of Jesus' crucifixion on the cross and with the two criminals that were with him. And I want to pull some stuff out of there to show you that you don't need to feel guilty. That you don't need to feel that way about your life. And it starts in Luke 23, verse 32 to 33. And it says, Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, that is Jesus, to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified Jesus there, along with the criminals, one on his right hand, and one on his left hand. To be executed by crucifixion was one of the most painful and brutal ways to ever be killed. In fact, not only was it a painful and brutal way to be killed physically, but it was also a spiritually shameful way for you to die on the cross. Physically, it was excruciating pain. In fact, the word excruciating comes derived from the word that means a pain like being crucified. The word excruciating actually comes from the word crucifixion. And it was shameful because they would strip you down to barely no clothes. They would strip you down to be naked, to humiliate you, as well as the painful thing that you go through. And so the scripture also says that it's shameful or cursed as anyone who hangs on a tree. This was implying that dying on the cross was a very shameful thing to happen to you. 
not only was it physically painful, but it was personally shameful and spiritually shameful as well. What they would do in crucifying someone, the first thing that they would do, the Roman soldiers would get the cat of nine tails. It was a whip. And in that whip was woven into it glass and nails and all sorts of things. And you would get 39 lashes across your back. And what would happen, that the glass and the nail and the bits and pieces that they put in would rip into your skin. And as they pulled the whip back, it would tear open your body to the point that it would expose your inner organs. Once they had done that, um, and once you had recovered physically as much as you could from the whipping, because in some cases you would lose so much blood that the person would go unconscious, they would wake you up and then they would get you after that to carry the very cross that you're going to be crucified on. And you would have to carry that for a certain streets and for a certain amount of time till they get you to the place where you're going to be crucified. And then they would get seven inch long spikes that they would then nail you to the cross with. And they wouldn't nail you through the hand so much as in through the wrist here and through your heels. And the only way that you could actually breathe while you were on a cross, while you were being crucified, is you would have to pull yourself up by your hands and by your feet, by the the nails. You have to push up on those spikes and pull on those spikes to lift your body up enough that your lungs would expand and you'd be able to breathe and you wouldn't suffocate. One of the reasons why this was one of the most rare ways for someone to be killed is because crucifixions could take up to four days. It could take up to four days before someone would die. That over four days, they would be pulling themselves up, breathing in, and then dropping back down again. Pulling themselves up. Imagine the excruciating pain each time in doing that. It was, so it would take up to four days to die. And the problem with that is this, is that you would have to pay for the hireage of Roman soldiers to watch over the crucifixion for those four days. So not only was it physically painful, spiritually shameful, but it was an incredibly expensive way for someone to die. On day four, what the Roman soldiers would do out of an act of mercy is they would get a club and they would come and smash your kneecaps in so that you could not push up any longer and slowly but surely you would suffocate and you would die. It's an incredibly uh, brutal way to die. That's why because of the cost and because of the brutality and because of the shamefulness of being crucified, it was actually reserved for the worst of criminals. It was actually reserved for the worst of the worst. It was reserved for those who broke significant crimes. We're not talking about shoplifting here. We're talking about people that have done significant crimes. In other words, the two criminals that were hanging on the cross with Jesus, they weren't pickpockets. They weren't minor criminals. They were major criminals. These were evil, evil men. They had done something incredibly horrible that deserved an expensive, painful, shameful way to die. Jesus in the, is in the middle of all of this, in between the two of them, and while he is up there suffering, 
in the middle of this, he's got the crowd spitting on him, cursing him. Um, in, in the middle of all of that, he looks up to heaven and he prays. And the thing that I love about Jesus is that he doesn't pray God send a thousand angels with swords to come down and strike them all dead, to wipe them out. He didn't pray that we would all get hemorrhoids. God didn't pray that. In fact, what he did pray was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. In Luke 2, uh, 23, sorry, verse 39 to 41, the story goes on. It says, one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Hear that? The other criminal rebuked him and said, Don't you fear God? He said, Since you are under the same sentence. And listen to what he says in verse 41. We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. He is saying, he is recognizing one is insulting Jesus, but the other one is recognizing, hey, we're actually getting what we deserve. We deserve to be killed this way because of a, obviously a very significant real crime that they did. The punishment he is saying is fear for us based on our actions. It's fear that we be punished this way based on our actions. It is just we are getting what we deserve. You know, have you ever heard these statements? Have you ever heard people say stuff like this? What goes around, comes around? Or what about this? Your past will come back to haunt you. Or maybe this one. If you make your bed, you have to lie in it. Those are all different ways of basically saying this. That you get what you deserve. We believe that we get what we deserve. But Jesus actually never said you get what you deserve. If you're anything like me, there's actually a, a dark part of myself that actually likes it when people get what I think they deserve when they've done something wrong. Let me give you an example. If I'm driving along and some guy speeds past me on, on, on the open road, if I'm traveling somewhere to see my fam see my parents in Wanganui, for example, and a person goes flying past me, speeding, acting like they're the king of the road, and a little bit further down the track, I see them pulled over by a police officer getting a ticket. There's a part of me on the inside that says, well, yeah, get what you deserve. You shouldn't have been speeding in the same place. You think you own the road, you are getting what you deserve. There's a sick part of me at times that actually enjoys it or likes it when somebody gets what they deserve. However, that same part of me doesn't like it when I get what I deserve. I don't want to get what I deserve. I want others to get what they deserve. But Jesus never said that you get what you deserve. You see, the second criminal was saying this. He's saying, we are punished justly. We are getting what we deserve because our deeds, our actions, our behaviors deserve it. But when he looks at Jesus and he sees what Jesus had done, he said he's done nothing wrong. He's not getting what he deserved. He, he doesn't deserve to be treated the way that we've been treated. We do. 
because of what we've done. He goes on to say this in verse 41. It says, we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Here he is dying on the cross, being punished, this criminal, for what he deserves because of his actions. He knows that Jesus is dying the same death, the same painful, the same shameful death. But he's saying, he doesn't deserve this. I deserve this, but he doesn't deserve this. And he says, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. I love Jesus' response to this man. Because Jesus doesn't say, uh, no, I'm sorry, um, but you won't be joining me in my kingdom. You had your chance, but you blew it. You, you had your opportunity to follow me, but you blew it. I, I know how you lived your life. I've seen how you lived your life. And to be honest with you, there's just some stuff I can't forgive. There's just some things that I'm sorry are just too bad. And the way that you live, friend, was so awful that, no, you're not joining me in the kingdom because you are getting what you deserve. Jesus didn't say anything like that to the man. Let me tell you what he did say to the man. He said to him, you're a criminal that can't do anything right now to make anything right. You, you are a person that cannot do a single thing right now to get yourself right with God. He said, you're not a person that can do a single thing to fix everything that you've ever done. Your hands are spiked to a tree. You're done. This man could not overturn a new leaf. This man could not go to church. He could not serve in church. He could not do an offering. He could not do anything. He can't do a thing. He couldn't even lift his hands to worship God. There's not a single thing that this man could do in this moment that would earn him right standing with God. And Jesus looked at this guilty, sinful, repentant man. And let me tell you what Jesus did say. say. Jesus said, I tell you today, this day, you will be with me in paradise. What is he saying? He's saying this day, your sins are forgiven you. Even though you can't earn it, even though there's nothing that you can do to deserve it, I will show you grace and you will be with me today in paradise. And you might be sitting here going, oh, hold on a minute, like some other people and saying, he didn't deserve that. Wait, wait a second. He didn't deserve that. Let me tell you what Ephesians 2 says about you and I. In verse 3 to 5, it says, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. We were deserving of punishment. But because of his great love, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ, even when we were dead in our transgressions. You see, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. Jesus did not come to make bad people good, but he came to make dead people alive. He says, he made us alive in Christ when we were dead and our sins and our transgressions. It goes on and says this in verse 8 and 9 of Ephesians 2. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not by works, 
that anyone could boast. See, Jesus doesn't just save people from their sin. Jesus makes dead people alive again. Jesus makes dead people alive again. Imagine for a moment what it would be like for this undeserving criminal to hear these words, to hear that he is forgiven, that your sins are not being held against you. Could you imagine if the Roman soldiers heard this and they thought, oh, well, this guy, we should let him go. What if they took him down off the cross and let him go? This criminal, this guilty guy, and let him off the cross. Here's the thing. He would still have his horrible wounds, but listen, his wounds would heal. He would recover and there would be years added to the man's life. But let me ask you this question. If they took him down and let him go because of what Jesus just did, how would that man respond for the rest of his life? I want to suggest to you that that man would be completely and totally devoted to Jesus. After someone else died for you so that he could live, you would be completely and totally devoted. You give your whole entire life to that person. If in that moment they had taken him off the cross because Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. He would live his life completely and totally for Jesus. And man, I just feel that right now in this moment. And I'm sure that you feel it right now where you are in that moment. That every moment, that every day, there wouldn't be a day that you would go without thinking about what that innocent man had done for him that day. His life will be fully devoted, completely given to the one who gave it all to him. By his grace, he would understand that I am saved. And if I feel that, and if I sense that, and if you feel it and you sense it, it's because his story is like our story, that we were undeserving and unworthy and guilty, and that the innocent one, Jesus, the son of God, the lamb of God who was slain for the sins of the world, and if we live passionately for him, it's because every day we are completely and totally aware that, friend, we don't get what we deserve. God does not give us what we deserve. In Psalm 103, it puts it this way. Lord, you're so kind and tender-hearted to those who don't deserve it and so patient with people who fail you. Your love is like a flooding river, overflowing its banks with kindness. You don't look at us to find our faults just so that you can hold a grudge against us. No, no, no. Far from the sunrise to the sunset. That's how far you have removed our guilt from us. Another version puts it this way. As far as the east is from the west, you have removed our sins from us. In the east and the west, never ever meet as far as the sunrise is from the sunset. So you have removed our guilt, our sin, our transgressions from us. I want to tell you, God doesn't give us what we deserve. God is a good God and he has removed our sins from us. Here's the question that I have for you is how many people were hanging 
on the cross that day. That's right, three, Jesus and two criminals. Now, I never really thought about this before, but why is it so significant that there was three people that day? Well, when I was at Bible college, we studied a study on a thing called numerology, where it basically means this, that numbers in the Bible have a spiritual meaning. They have a significance. The, the numbers in Scripture actually mean something. So like the number one always represents the unity or the oneness of God. Five always presents grace, hence the five spiritual gifts to the church. Seven is perfection. It's God's number. It's the number of God. It's, it's perfection. Eight represents new beginnings. Forty represents trials, hence why Jesus fasted for 40 days. The Israelites were in the desert for 40 years. All the numbers represent something through Scripture. It means something. The number six is the number of man, hence why 666 is the number of the enemy. So all these numbers represent and they mean something. So the number three means this. It means completeness. It means wholeness. It, it literally means it is completed. It's fully done. There's, there's, there's the wholeness to what this thing is. There's no gaps in it. The whole work of whatever it is that can be done has been done. The number three means wholeness. It means completeness. Hence why Jesus is, why God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one. Jesus was described as the one who was, and is, and is to come. Jesus was described as the way, the truth, and the life. The angels in heaven cry out around the throne room of God, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Three, when he was born, three wise men came to see him and they brought three gifts. Jesus raised three people from the dead during his ministry. Jairus' daughter, the widow's son, and of course, Lazarus. Jesus' ministry was for three years that Jesus prayed three times in the Garden of Gethsemane before he went to the cross. There were three men hanging on the cross, and above Jesus was a sign that said, King of the Jews, written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Italian. Jesus declared at the end of him on the cross, he said three words right at the end before he gave up his spirit. And those three words were, it is finished. And the earth shook and the darkness fell across the land for three hours. And the world went silent. Why? Because three represents complete and holy wholeness. No hope, no life at the end of Jesus' death. Day one, nothing happened. Day two, nothing happened. But on the third day, when the woman went to the tomb, the stone was not there. The stone had been rolled away. Why? Because the work that God sent Jesus to do had been completed. It was perfect. It was whole. It was done. It was over. It is finished, he declared. The perfect work of forgiveness of sins has been displayed by the love of God in the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is because of that 
It is because of it that Jesus looked at a repentant person who was hanging on the cross beside him, who could do nothing to get the forgiveness for his sin, who could do nothing to fix up what he had done, and declared to him, today you will be with me in paradise. Declared to him, your sins are forgiven. Our God is faithful and just to forgive us of all our sins and cleanse us from all unright living or unrighteousness, as the Bible puts it. Here's the thing. You don't get what you deserve because of his grace and his mercy and his sacrifice on the cross. You don't get what you deserve. God doesn't give you what you deserve. God gives you his love. God gives you his grace. God gives you his mercy. God gives you eternal life. God gives you a way out of every temptation. God is such a good God. God is such a faithful God that even though we may think that people should get what they deserve, God never gives us what we deserve. God gives us his grace and his mercy. I don't want to tell you today, friend, if you feel dead on the inside, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. Jesus came to make dead people alive. See, he said that we were dead in our sins, but he came so that we could become alive again. And for that, we've got to give him all the glory and we've got to give him all the honor because he has risen. And everything that Jesus did was so that we don't get what we do deserve. And I want to encourage you today I don't know what you're thinking about your life. I don't know what you think has happened. That you may think sometimes I'm getting what I've deserved. I made that mistake and I'm suffering the consequences. And I understand that to a degree. Like I understand that what you sow is what you reap and there's an element of that. But there is a law in scripture that supersedes our way of thinking. And that is this. That Jesus doesn't give us what we deserve. The criminal said, we are justly being punished. Justly being punished. And Jesus has done nothing wrong. He doesn't deserve this. But here's the thing. Jesus took what we deserved so that we can have what we don't deserve, which is his favor and his goodness and his grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness. And I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that I don't get what I deserve, but he has given me life and life more abundantly. And if you don't know Jesus, if you've never asked him to be your Lord and Savior, I want you to understand something. God is not here to punish you. God is here to cause you to come alive again. He wants to take away the sin so that punishment doesn't reign but that his life would reign, that God kind of life for you. And today you have an opportunity to ask him to come and be your Lord and your Savior and to take away your sin. And if you're here right now and you're like, man, I've never done that, or I know that I've been away from him and I want to come back to Jesus today, then you have an opportunity right now on your screen. In a moment, I'm going to ask that you would click on raising your hand in that moment on your screen. And as you click on that, that's your way of saying, you know what, I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to get my life back on track with him. 
you know, God hasn't come to give you what you deserve. He's come to give you what you don't deserve, which is his love and his grace and his mercy. And the way that we get that is just by repenting of what we've done. And so if that's you right now in this moment, why don't you click right now or raise your hand. Thank you so much for those that have done that. You've still got a chance to click on that. And I encourage you to do that right now. Awesome. Thank you so much. Hey, let's pray for those that have clicked on raise their hand. We're going to pray right now that you would experience the forgiveness of God. And then we're going to pray for people that maybe you think that you're getting in life what you deserve, that you that, that this is just a concert. There's nothing you can do about it. I'm getting what I deserve. I want to break that off your life. I want you to understand that you don't get what you deserve. You get what God gives you. And he gives you his grace and his mercy and his love and his kindness. And it doesn't matter what you have done. Just like the criminal man had done a horrendous thing to deserve what he, what he deserved on the cross in our thinking. But Jesus said to him right that, in that moment, even though you can't do anything right now, even though you can't do anything to change your world right now, you can't make up for anything that you've done. I want you to know that today you'll be with me in paradise because I don't give you what you deserve. I give you what I died for, which is his forgiveness and his grace and his mercy. Let's pray right now. Father, we thank you for those that have raised their hands. And God, as they say to you today, Lord, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all of that. I pray right now where they are that they would experience the forgiveness of God, that your grace and your mercy would flood through their lives, that the guilt of what they've done would be completely and totally eliminated, that the shame would be gone. For those, God, right now that believe that they're suffering and they deserve to suffer because of this, that, or the other thing, God, I thank you that you don't give us what we deserve, but you give us the undeserved favor of your grace and your mercy and your goodness. And we throw ourselves today, God, at your mercy. We throw ourselves at your feet and we're saying, God, Father, that you would move in such a way, God, that you would shift our thinking away from we're getting what we deserve to understanding that in you, when we completely sow our lives into you, in you, when we pursue you with everything we've got, your word promises and proverbs, you say that those who pursue righteousness find life, love, and prosperity. I pray right now for those that think that they deserve what they're getting right now, that you break the curse of that off their lives, that you break that thinking, and Father, that they'd start to experience the un deserve favor and goodness and grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. And I hope this message really helps you to understand. God never said that you get what you deserve. You get his grace, you get his mercy, you get his love and you get his goodness. We're so excited what God is doing in your life. I pray that you have a great week. Tune in next week and we'll start a really cool series called Home Improvement. Have a great week this week, church. God bless.